I'm Danny Valentino, and welcome to Crypto on the Beat, a podcast that explores the relationship between music and cryptocurrency. Every episode, we break down the latest news in the space and are joined by some of the players on the cutting edge of these new trends that are helping to reshape our world. This is Crypto on the Beat. Coming up on this episode of Crypto on the Beat, all the headlines making waves in today's digital economy, plus my interview with Tycho, musician, producer, composer, songwriter, graphic designer, and now Web3 fan club creator. I definitely think music NFTs are a really interesting opportunity. The idea that artists could offer up like equity to fans, so they're crowdfunding the project. If they got enough money up front, that could allow them to not work for a year and just focus on music and make some amazing record. We'll get into all that and more in the full conversation coming up in just a bit. But first, let's check some headlines. Starbucks is about to become the first major brand to incorporate NFTs into its loyalty program. Starbucks Odyssey, launching later this year, will give customers the ability to earn and purchase digital assets that can be used to unlock exclusive experiences and rewards, in addition to earning the customary stars with each purchase. Starbucks, you might remember, was first to add mobile payments to their app, and it looks like they are ahead of the curve with Web3 now as well. The Chainsmokers have become the latest artists to perform in the metaverse, playing a show in Roblox about a week ago. The concert was to celebrate the launch of their newest project, Festival Tycoon, which allows fans to build a festival in the metaverse from the ground up, including stages, campsites, and pyrotechnics, and even gives fans the chance to perform alongside their favorite artist as well. Sounds pretty cool. And David Bowie is coming to Web3 with a series of tribute NFTs set to drop later this month. The Bowie on the Blockchain collection is fully backed by his estate and will feature nine digital artists paying their respects with pieces that reflect Bowie's work both on and off the stage. And 100% of the proceeds from the sale will benefit the Care Foundation. Let's welcome to the show uh, today's featured guest. Uh, he's a Grammy-nominated musician. Uh, he's a producer. He's a composer, a songwriter, graphic designer, and uh, he's now diving headfirst into the world of crypto and Web3. Uh, Scott Hansen, a.k.a. Tycho, has joined us. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have you. I mean, the big news from you right now, uh, the launch of your new Web3 project, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes here. But, I mean, before we get too involved... Why don't you give us a little bit of a background uh, on you and uh, maybe how you got turned on to uh, crypto and Web3? Well, yeah, I mean, I started out as a graphic designer. I actually started out as a software developer and, uh, and did like interface architecture for, for years and kind of shifted into graphic design, but was always doing music in the background. You know, I kind of launched Tyco off of this blog called ISO 50, which was like a graphic design, art, culture, music, blog, seeing that thing grow up in the community that grew up around it of other people, of other artists, of the graphic designers, people that I connected with and ended up, you know, creating the visuals for the, the show or, you know, label stuff. I, I met um, the A&R for Ghostly on there. And so all these things kind of connected a lot of dots for me. And, and I think I always looked back on that as like a really cool time in, in internet history, you know, like when blogs were like this thing and they were such a powerful way to connect people and, and learn about new stuff. So like, I've always been looking for an opportunity to kind of recreate that. And we did a discord, which was token gated, which kind of allowed you, you know, if you held any of the NFTs to like access different rooms in there, but we, we do have a discord and that was really fun building that up. And I basically wanted to find a way to, to create our own sort of bespoke platform that 
allow people to come together around the project, but also connect with each other. And, and, uh, and another way to take all this content that I have, like exclusive stuff and, and the live streams and, and find a way to, to present that to people in, in a way where, where I kind of have control over the message. And, and this felt like a perfect opportunity. Yeah, it's interesting. You brought up the blog that you started probably about 15 years ago, which I think was ahead of its time at that moment. And uh, certainly you can look at that as maybe a precursor to what you just launched uh, this week. But uh, you, you built a community there of, of, I would say, like-minded people and like-minded fans, and it went on to become a, a big part of your identity. I mean, what inspired you to, to start that uh, particular project looking back around 2005, 2006? Well, you know, in the graphic design community, it, it's it's really cool, like how much I feel like people help each other and and how you, you forge all these friendships because it's it's not a huge group of people who are really really you know going to like all the the conferences and things like that. So you, you get to know people pretty quick. And when I started, Flash was like the thing. So we we built all these Flash sites and we won like uh, me and my buddy Dusty Brown. He he did the the coding and and I did all the interface stuff. And uh, like we built my first portfolio, is50.com in Flash and won like the FWA award, there was all these old, uh, these sites that, that did all these, um, these flash awards. So that kind of gave us a platform, but you know, it, it all, it all still felt like it was just a portfolio. There was no two way communication. And also it was just my own work. And I felt like I, I really wanted to like share my inspirations and share stuff daily that, that I was into, uh, that was, you know, that was inspiring me for design or music or whatever. So that, that was the impetus for the blog. And I, I was working actually at Adobe doing UX for them. Yeah. And, you uh, held, you held corporate jobs actually doing graphic design. So it wasn't all about music, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I can't, that's actually what brought me to San Francisco. I was living in Sacramento, um, just doing freelance design. And then I got a job at Adobe, well, Macromedia, and then it became Adobe, but I, I wasn't there for long. It was like six months and I, I couldn't handle it. And I started the blog like <laughs> maybe the second, the last three months I was there, I was like, screw this. And I started building the blog <laughs> and then, uh, it kind of, it kind of took off. And and then I was like, all right. And you know, it was enough that I could kind of support myself. And and that's what allowed me to, to stop working and focus on music. It's wild. So music was the side hustle and then you, you were doing the graphic design thing. And then you finally were able to, uh, just kind of, you know, make a, make a living and a career out of it. You know, it's fascinating. We've heard this narrative, I guess, for, uh, for a number of years now, how the, how the music industry is maybe a little bit broken, uh, the traditional model with the record labels and stuff. And it's tough for artists to survive with like streaming revenues and things like that. You get paid, you know, fractions of a penny uh, on the dollar for every time your song is streamed. Uh, you know, we've seen people come and try to like, you know, maybe change that. I guess Blouse Company Royal is a perfect example of that, where artists can maybe buy or fans can actually buy into a, an artist's song or an album and get uh, a percentage of the, of the, the proceeds there. Uh, it deepens the connection between between the fan and the artist, I think you're coming at it from maybe a little bit of a different angle because you're changing the fan club model, right? With your with what you're doing here with this Web3 platform that you just introduced. But I think the idea is the same. You also want to deepen the connection between uh, between the artist and the fan. So uh, you launched this a couple of weeks ago. It's called Tycho's Open Source Community, uh, the first Web3 fan club. Tell us a little bit about this and what's, what's so great uh, from a fan's perspective that they're going to be able to do here. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like the blouse model and, and that kind of stuff, I think is, is fantastic. And I think it's going to be great for emerging artists. You know, obviously Tyco is a very established thing and we've been really fortunate in a lot of ways that we were able to navigate the traditional kind of record industry and, and make a living out of it, even with, you know, how, how the current climate is. That's not something that I was super interested in. I more wanted like the fan connection just because I feel like we've always had passionate fans. Like I feel like we're not, <laughs> Tyco isn't like the hugest thing in the world, but like the fans are super passionate. And I think that's what has been the key to its success is that people are really invested in it and they keep coming 
back to shows and, and they keep buying records, you know, 10 years later, it's, it's not as fickle maybe as some fan bases. So I think that's always been the, the core of what Tyco is. And, and this, I think it's just a way to kind of give back and, and create a, another channel, just because like I was saying with, with traditional social media, I felt like there's been a breakdown. Like, I don't, I don't even feel like I know who I'm speaking to anymore. And you're definitely not speaking to the, the entire audience that, that you used to be. I, I just feel like it's harder to reach people. So this just feels like, you know, they're opting in and they're, they're directly connected and, and it allows me to be a little bit more direct with the message maybe, and not have to think about how is this going to work with the algorithm or how's this going to be filtered by whatever company happens to own the popular social media platform at the moment. Sure. Interesting way of looking at it. I mean, the first contest that you're doing here with this project, you're, you're making fans make some pretty big decisions already. They're uh, going to have a say in the design of the community passport. You're going to pick the top three, but then the fans are ultimately going to vote on uh, which one is going to be used. What other type of things can you see yourself allowing the fans to decide? Like, could we ultimately have like maybe a fan design merch or maybe uh, you throw out some remix stems and uh, let them have a go maybe at uh, remixing one of your tracks? I mean, that type of stuff. Yeah, well, definitely merch is kind of like the end goal for for this particular um, contest uh, is, you know, we're going to do like shirts and, and posters based on the images. But I mean, in the past, when we've done stuff like this, we did the easy DIY thing and and we let fans remix. And it's just, I'm always like amazed how talented <laughs> these people are, you know, like, and you end up connecting with people. I connected with Michael McAfee, who who does all of our animations now that are like the basis for, for a lot of the animated work. I, I met him through something, you know, similar to this and he came out of that community. So like, I'm always amazed by by how engaged and, and passionate people are about it. So it's, it's cool to see what comes out of it. But yeah, I think the, the future could definitely be, you know, the, the next logical step would be like stems and, and remixes and stuff. We've done some basic stuff like that, but never like really opened up a whole song for a remix. Incredible. I mean, how does somebody join? Do they need to be tech savvy? Do they need to own NFTs? Do they have to fully understand crypto? I mean, what's the uh, what's the gateway here? You know, I think there's powerful aspects to the Web3 angle and 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 to crypto, uh, you know, in general, the blockchain being being part of this. But you don't need to have crypto or you don't need to even understand it. You just at its core, it can just be a basic uh, web service where you just sign up. You can sign up with an email and you're basically given this passport, which is essentially an NFT or a token, if you know, depending on how you want to look at it that's just your pass to it and it's free and it can either be stored locally or if you happen to have a wallet and you are in crypto native, you can put it in there and and you can move around with it. So right now I think, you know, it's important to educate people on it, but I think it's also important to allow everybody to be able to participate in it with whether they're into crypto or not. It's been a few weeks uh, since the launch of the project. I mean, what's the reaction been maybe from some people within the industry and uh, more importantly from the, the fan base? I mean, it seems like people are excited. I think NFTs, the value of NFTs is, is something that's difficult for some people to parse maybe on one level. It, it, like, why would I want this? You know, if you get it, you get it. And a lot of people do. But if you're not into it, it's easy to be like, what the, you know, what is this? But I think this is like a clear example of there's value to this. And, and it's a clearly a good application of the technology in, in, in my view, at least. So I, I think it's a cool thing to point to and be like, okay, this is maybe the road where this is all going to end up leading is, is to these different different ways of using Web3. How crypto savvy would you say that you are? Uh, I mean, over the last couple of years, I certainly got a lot more crypto savvy. I think I was into it, I don't know, like 2016, just like everybody else. That's kind of like when it got on my radar, at least, you know, people in the tech world. I mean, I know a lot of people were into it way before that, but yeah, I, I but I didn't understand it beyond like Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. You know, I thought, I thought like, coins is all it was. And then like, slowly I was like, oh, like NFTs made me realize you can leverage the blockchain in these different ways. And and then I started just seeing all this stuff started coming out of that. And, and once I learned about token gated discords, that's when it clicked like, okay, this is a way to build 
communities, you know, like RIC had done with, with his, uh, with his discord, that was really inspirational. So that was when kind of, we started talking about doing this, this community space for the, the open source thing. We weren't calling that at the time. We were kind of thinking it was just going to be the discord extended, but then we decided to make it a, its own thing. Right. And a guy with your graphic background, I would think could potentially be super into NFTs. Uh, I know you've done, I think a, a drop or two. Do you, you know, see yourself maybe doing some more NFT drops or, or is that uh, something that doesn't, uh, you know, particularly appeal at this time? I mean, that certainly appealed to me. I was a graphic designer. I did a lot of physical stuff, shirts, posters. That's how I made my living for years and years. And then once I started focusing on music, we did merch, but you know, by and large, if I did a poster for an event, it basically just lived on Instagram and that was the end of it. And like, it didn't feel like it had weight. So for me, NFTs were cool because they gave weight to this thing that you spend a lot of time on and you put a lot of uh, thought and effort into and and you love. And then it's like, it ends up 18 pages down on some grid. (laughs) So like the NFTs, I think elevated that work because, you know, what's the difference if you print it on a poster or it's just this idea and it lives digitally, you know, there's not really a difference. The work is the work. That was compelling to me, and I think it always will be compelling to me. But particularly for this project and what I'm trying to do right now, I think this this community angle is is definitely what I'm focused on for the time being. And another thing that uh, you know seems to be disrupting music is uh, you know is the metaverse, right? We're seeing a lot of people do uh, metaverse concerts. I mean, there was a category at the MTV Video Music Awards for the first time, best metaverse concert. You know, is that something that uh, appeals to you? Can you see yourself possibly uh, you know doing something in that realm? Yeah, we did. Um, so we did the live streams. And on, you know, some of the platforms that had sort of a metaverse angle to it. I mean, it wasn't like VR or anything. I mean, I'm sure you could have probably had it in VR if you wanted. But um, yeah, I haven't dug deep into, into that space. I think it's certainly interesting. And, and I think there's there's a lot that could come out of that, especially with the visual element. And I think once you start throwing in, you know, spatial audio and things like that, I think on a deeper level, finding a way to have fully immersive experiences for like kind of meditative aspects, things like that. I think that's really interesting to me. And that's something I think we'll explore in the future. Yeah. It seems like, you know, you can, you can open it up to, to a lot of people who may not be able to, uh, to go to a show for various reasons. They have small kids at home or they're, you know, geographically challenged, but just, uh, you know, having been in the music, music industry, like you have for, let's say, uh, you know, maybe close to two decades at this point, it seems like the changes, especially over the last, you know, three to five years are coming fast and furious. You've got a web three fan club. Now we've got, uh, you know, NFTs disrupting the traditional, uh, uh, you know, record label model at this point. We've got metaverse concerts. Just you know, looking ahead, as I'm sure you do sometimes, like how much of a part of the music industry are all these things going to play? And let's say you know, five to ten years down the road. I don't pretend to, to understand it well enough to project out that far, but I mean, I definitely think music NFTs are a really interesting opportunity for an emerging artist or, or somebody trying to launch their career. It's not that expensive to make a record anymore. You can make it in your bedroom. You don't need to go to some big studio and spend a bunch of money on producers and engineers, but it costs money to be home working on music and not making <laughs> making any money. You know, it's an opportunity cost. If you're not at work, you're not making money. And if you're not making money off music. So I think the idea that artists could offer up like equity in their future releases to fans. So the fans are you, they're crowdfunding, you know, the, the project that could allow them if they got enough money up front, that could allow them to not work for a year and just focus on music and make some amazing record. And, you know, not, not many people have that opportunity. And if this can present that opportunity for, for people, I think, I think it's really exciting. 
It's fascinating. We've seen some big names get involved with this, and uh, we're also, I think, starting to see some people like you talk about, up-and-coming names. Daniel Allen is one that comes to mind who could be uh, you know, one of the first, let's say, Web3 artists who is doing it the way you're suggesting, uh, just coming up and, and just you know putting it directly uh, to the fans. So it is uh, an exciting time. I couldn't let you go without asking. Uh, I remember uh, when we spoke, I think it was a few years ago, about, about one of your albums. You were telling me you're a big Burning Man guy, I and mean, it wouldn't be Burning Man if you didn't do, uh, I think, a, a sunrise set, which is, uh, I think, your your tradition. Is that happening here this year? Yeah, I'm leaving in like 12 hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, more, I'm just finishing up uh, picking all the tracks out and everything. There's always a last minute rush to uh, to get everything ready. But yeah, I'm excited because I, I didn't go the last two years to the the renegade burns or whatever. Cause so I, I figured uh, I'd take a couple of years off. So this is my first year back. For somebody who's never been to Burning Man, uh, how would you describe it, particularly uh, at Sunrise? I mean, it's anything you want it to be. I, I think people focus a lot on the culture and the art aspect of it. But I mean, you have to remember you're like in maybe the most beautiful environment in the world. So it's just like you're kind of on the moon and there's these mountains and it's just like everything's pretty surreal just without the craziness of Burning Man. Uh, so, yeah, the, we we drive out to this thing called the Trash Fence, which is basically the the border of the whole place. So you feel like you're just in the middle of nowhere and it's, it's just incredibly beautiful watching the sunrise out there. You got to get out there, man. It's, it's really something special. It's I, I, if it was the way I thought it was before I went my first time, I I don't think I'd like it. But once I got out there, I'm like, Oh, that's not what it is. You know, like you, you think, or at least I had these, all these preconceived notions and it's, it's just, it's chill. You know, it's it's one of those things that was never on my bucket list. And then I've had so many people just telling me like how incredible and in some cases life-changing it is being out there that I think uh, I'm going to have to find a way to get there. Yeah. If you like music, particularly electronic music, that I mean, that's really why I made Dive is I went out there in 2010 and I had been kicking those ideas around and kind of not focused on music for a while. And uh, I went out there and I heard electronic music for the in this different way for the first time. And it like, I was like, oh my God, like this is what I got to do. And I came home and I'm, I made dive. That's like the cover of it is all pictures I took out in Burning Man. Wow. So like, that's when I just decided like, I need to like be more serious about music and art. Sounds awesome. And a great way to get off the grid, which I think there's more value to, uh, you know, these days I think than ever before. So uh, the new community, it's Tycho's open source community. It's the first Web3 fan club. Uh, sounds like it's very simple to join and uh, look forward to uh, maybe having you back on uh, at a later date to, you know, hear how uh, things are going. Good luck with it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with dance music star Tycho, who made some very interesting points when talking about why he used Web3 to launch his new fan club, especially when pointing out the shortcomings of the uh, traditional social media model and how the algorithms and filters that they use can impact an artist's ability to communicate with all of their fans. Also pointing out how the uh, social media conversation tends to be a one-way street, while the Web3 model allows fans to get involved and engaged and can lead to the building out of a much more passionate and thriving community. Sounds like a win for everyone. Special thanks to everyone who makes Crypto on the Beat possible. Sarah Bentley, Roger Coletti, Bill Crandall, Jen Derwin, Emily Doherty, Mike Spinella, and Chris Watherspoon. I'm your host, Danny Valentino. Crypto on the Beat is a Sirius XM production. Sirius XM Podcasts.